Amen. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Super glad that you're here with us this morning uh, as we move into the Advent season. And uh, just a couple things to get out of the way before we get started in Luke chapter 1, where Kim was just reading. First of all, um, if you hear the word Advent, you're like, what does that word even mean? Uh, you're also going to hear another word, incarnation, in a minute. So I want to explain those things just right off the bat. So the idea of Advent, like think of the word arrival, okay? And so when we celebrate Advent, we're celebrating the arrival of Christ. And the church celebrates the arrival of Christ the four Sundays before Christmas. And so this is the, the Advent season. This is week two in the Advent season. And so what we do as a church um, is we, what we want to do is come alongside you either as an individual or as a family and give you resources to help you make the most of this season, right? Because there are so many things happening out there that are competing with your worship and your joy of the celebration of Jesus. And so one way that I would say it is this, that life is a collection of sacred moments. So like what we're doing right now is a really sacred thing. We call this the gathering of the saints and it's sacred. Like, we should treat it as such. But this isn't the only sacred moment you're going to have this week. Life is a collection of sacred moments, and sacred moments are going to meet you every day. For example, when you sit down with your family around the dinner table, like, that is a sacred moment. Uh, when you meet a friend at Starbucks for coffee to catch up on life, that is a sacred moment. Uh, when you're driving down the road and listening to the radio and you're just singing along and all of a sudden your heart starts to well up and you start to cry and like that's a sacred moment. Uh, you open the word of God, you're by yourself, you have your journal and you attune your heart to the Holy Spirit and his word and you're there in that moment. That's a sacred moment. And so one of the things that we like to do is come alongside you and help you be more intentional with those sacred moments. And one of the ways that we're going to do that is with our Advent devotion. And so um, our, we have this both in digital form which I think there's a, was there a slide for that? If not, um, you can go to the app, the Church Center app that we use. Uh, make sure you're on Solid Rock Church and we have a, res- a digital resource there for you, either as an individual or with a group of people with your family to sit down each week and have a very intentional sacred moment, um, not just about what we're talking about on Sundays, but really just attuning your heart to celebrate and worship Jesus. Um, if you are prefer like the paper form, we'll have those at the Welcome Center as well. You can grab one of those booklets on on the way out. But I wanted you to know the heart behind that. It's not that we would just have one more thing to do or another study to do, but it would be that you would take that as a tool to uh, to capture one of those sacred moments and to be intentional with it. And so this year for the Advent series, we're entitling it uh, The Incarnation. And so the idea of the incarnation is the idea that God became flesh. Okay, so it's more than God came for a visit. He did that, but his method of coming for a visit was to take on human form, to take on flesh. He incarnated into our world as a human being, so fully God, fully man. And in that, he experienced everything that it means to be human. Now, one of the misunderstandings about that process of God becoming man was, okay, finally he knows what it's like to be like us, because before he had no real empathy, before he didn't understand, but now he does, and that is a misconception of God, especially as it relates to the things that we experience emotionally in life. Like, we have to understand that our emotions are part of our being, and your being is created as a reflection of a being who has emotions. So, so God didn't have to become flesh to know what it was like to be sad or to be angry, or to hurt. Like, God knows those things because it's part of who he is, and as image bearers, we carry those emotions. 
So for this Advent series, we talk about the incarnation. We're not only talking about Jesus becoming flesh at the celebration of Christmas, we're talking about how Jesus incarnates into our everyday situations. And he meets us in our most painful moments. He incarnates into each of our lives. And so last week we looked at the sadness of Elizabeth, um, how Elizabeth was barren and couldn't have a child, and she's, and she's, she's greeted with this, this miracle of, oh, I'm going to get to have a child, and her sadness was turned into joy. We saw how God incarnated into her situation. This week we're going to look at Mary's fear. I was telling the guys backstage, we were talking before we came out um, just to get ready for this morning, we just do kind of a check-in every Sunday morning. How are you doing? Anything you're struggling with, you need to get off your mind? And I was like, yeah, I entitled the sermon Mary's Fear, but I feel like it should have been entitled Jason's Fear or My Fear, because I'm just feeling a lot of fear today. And, and so here's what I want to say about emotions real quick. There are two um, polarized views on emotions uh, from a human perspective. One, on one end of the spectrum is the, is the stoic, right? It's the person who says, well, emotions can't be trusted. If you make decisions out of emotions, you'll make bad decisions. You'll choose one thing in one moment, then you'll want something else in the next moment, and your life will be just tossed about all over the place. So don't trust your emotions. So emotions are meant to be then suppressed. Most of us learn this skill set as a young child. You don't need to be scared. You don't need to be sad. Suppress that emotion. Don't trust that emotion. And then the, the polar opposite view is, you know, is the basket case, right? It's the person who's walking through life and everything is an emotional experience, right? And they're being tossed about. It's like, whoa, I can't even keep up. Are you mad? Are you sad? I don't even know. What, what's going on here? We make emotional decisions. We buy cars emotionally. We, buy, we shop emotionally. Right, we react to life emotionally. We know that can lead to some real devastating decisions. So we go, see, emotions don't need to be trusted. But this guy over here who's the stoic, right, isn't experiencing all that it means to live the abundant life. Because these things are welling up inside of him or her that they, don't, they can't understand. Why am I so anxious? I don't know where that's coming from. Why am I so depressed? Where's all this resentment coming from? It's just kind of bubbling up. And so we think about what it means to have emotions, we're getting close to the understanding of what it means to be created in the image of God, a God who has emotions. And here's where we land in the middle. Emotions were created by God, placed in you for a reason. That's how we deal with emotions. We ask, why am I feeling this way? Maybe I'm sad about something that's not true. But until I acknowledge, you know what, I'm really sad right now. Let me think, why am I sad? Well, I'm sad because of this. And then we think about whatever the this is. And we're like, oh, oh, that doesn't make sense. And then what happens is our sadness begins to dissolve. Whew, process. We didn't have to stuff it. Just kind of work through it. So today what we're going to see is how Mary is visited by an angel. And, and appropriately so, her, her response is fear. She's stricken with fear. And we're going to see how God incarnates into that situation and transforms her fear into joy. So this is going to begin in... Luke chapter 1, as we think about this idea of fear, um, fear really is, is, is sending one of two messages. One, I'm in danger. That's what fear is meant. To, that's why you, God gave you that emotion, fear, so you can know when you're in danger, so you know I, I need to flee, or I need to fight, or I need to freeze, okay? But there's, there's, a, there's another uh, mechanism for, for fear, and it's this idea, I am in a situation that could become dangerous, 
I'm around something or someone who is dangerous. So I feel that fear, and I just need to be what? Cautious. I don't need to run. I don't need to fight. I just need to be alert, right? Wise as a serpent in the situation. So fear has a very practical um, help mechanism for us. As we get into Luke chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 26. Let's read about Mary's experience. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. All right, so we're introduced to this young woman named Mary. She's betrothed to Joseph. So to kind of fully understand Mary's response in this moment, we got to know a little bit more about Mary. Okay, so the Jewish marriage process, uh, it began really at a young age with the pledge. So before betrothal, uh, there was a pledge, a phase that was called the pledge phase. And this is where two parents or parents of two different children would get together and they'd say, hey, how about we make a deal that these two kiddos will get married one day? And that happened around four or five years old, okay? So it wasn't fully arranged, but there was a pledge, right? Hey, we're gonna commit to this thing where our children will most likely uh, end up becoming married partners. And then the second stage though, and this didn't happen until after the young lady who was almost always younger than the man hit puberty, and the way this was celebrated was that the young man, if they still wanted to get married, okay, if they wanted to honor the pledge that the parents had made, he would offer her now a cup of wine. And if she drank from it, that was her response to him. Okay, I'll go forward with you into this next phase that we call betrothal. But if she declined it, that's where it ended. Okay, so there's still a, an option to accept or decline, but it would be kind of the equivalent of, of getting down on your knee and, and saying, hey, will you marry me? And so the betrothal um, period, if, if she accepted that cup, was considered to be formal and binding. Like if you broke off the betrothal or the engagement, it would have been the equivalent of a divorce. This is why Joseph seeks to divorce her quietly. You're like, wait, they're not even married. Why is he divorcing her? Because he had at some point offered her the cup and she said, yes, I'll marry you. And they entered into this betrothal period. And then this would give way to what was a, a wedding feast. They didn't just have a wedding ceremony. They had a whole week celebration. Marriage was consummated at the end, and that's when the whole process was finalized. I'm saying that because to understand where Mary is, she's in betrothal. I mean, she's somewhere between 13 and 16 years old, more than likely. I mean, most ladies that have been pledged and betrothed were married by 16, 17, 18 at the latest. Okay, so she's a young girl. Right, and now she's being visited by an angel. And the description is here is that she's deeply troubled. So that, that word, deeply troubled, it means to have like this inner turbulence inside. 
Like the wheels are churning for Mary. Like there are things going on inside her she probably doesn't even have a label for. She's just feeling it. Now the angel who is the mouthpiece of God is speaking to her and said what? Do not be afraid. So the fear she is experiencing is welling up with this turbulence on the inside. We're going to see what she does to attempt to mediate this, this fear she's feeling. But what's interesting is that she's troubled by the message of the angel. I don't know if you caught on to that. She was troubled by what he said. So it wasn't just that he came to her in an intimidating way or that he was big or bright and shiny or you know, angelic in a way that was intimidating. She was troubled by the message of what he said. So what did he say? He said, Mary, you are favored one and the Lord is with you. Now, there's going to be an interaction here between Gabriel and Mary, but what we have to understand is this, this Gabriel angel, he's not just winging the conversation. He's not just shooting from the hip. He came to Mary with a message. God sent the angel to Mary. So when they go back and forth and there's questions asked and answers given, Gabriel's not winging it, going back to heaven, and God's like, oh, hey, good job, way to, way to handle that. No, God said, Gabriel, here's what's going to happen. You're going to show up. She's going to be scared. Say this. She's going to ask you this question. Say this. And so as you hear the angel's voice here in this story, we need to be listening for God's voice as this angel is a mouthpiece for God himself. Verse 34 and 35. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, we're going to see two things here. We're going to see Mary's reaction, her initial reaction, and I think there's going to be a lot of room for most of us in the room to relate to Mary. Because see, what happens when, for most of us, when we feel fear, is that it's going to manifest in some different ways. The illusion of control, anxiety, or rage. These are three different ways that fear will manifest. So so often, we don't even know we're scared, right? But we know what it feels like to rage. Or we understand anxiety. We're like, I have anxiety, but I don't know where it's coming from. How about control? Man, that's a subtle one, isn't it? The attempt to control. And so what we're gonna see from Mary is like she wants to understand. If I can just understand what you're saying, then I can control what you're saying, then I can have some peace and rest. Help me understand, how is this gonna work? Asking a very practical question, why? Because if I can just understand, then I can control my own emotions in my heart and I can be at rest. Now, if that were true, then what God would tell the angel to do is that when Mary asks for an explanation, here's what I want you to give to her. I want you to explain how this is gonna work, how the Holy Spirit like, is going to like, conceive baby Jesus in her womb. Here's the biology. If she asks a biology question, here's this. If she asks this question, tell her how it's gonna work. Do you notice that that's not what the angel did here? As the mouthpiece of God, he didn't tell her how it was going to work. He simply says what? 
And it's actually a, a big statement. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you overshadow you it's a really important part of the story so this word overshadow in the greek language it's uh, piskiazo if you want to go look that up later um, it means to cast shade upon something okay so something big gets in the way of the sun and casts shade um, it means to eclipse or come between two things uh, to, en- uh, to envelop in a haze of brilliancy or intensity so the idea here, what the angel is saying is that God is gonna, he's gonna overshadow or overwhelm you with the nearness of his presence. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When you're a little kid and you're scared, who do you run to? Mom or dad, okay? So the, the fear mechanism within you, right, is meant to send you to someone who's bigger than the thing you're scared of. So it doesn't just work to go to a sibling. No, no, no. I want mom or dad. Right? So my, if my older son is scared, he can go run to his little brother, but they're just going to be scared together. Right? What he really needs and what he really wants is something bigger than the thing he's scared of, so he wants dad. Okay? So that's what fear does. You can relate to that, right? You have children. You remember those moments. Okay? And so I want you to have that in mind here as we think about what does it mean that God's going to overshadow her? I think what the, what the angel is getting at is like, Mary, God is going to show himself to you so big that he's going to overshadow you. He's going to overwhelm you with his bigness. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will what? Overshadow you. Man, isn't that powerful? So I'm not going to give you an explanation. I'm not going to, to appease your desire to control the situation by understanding it. Here's what I'm going to tell you. God is going to be so big to you, Mary, that he is going to overwhelm you with goodness. And that's how this is going to work. Verse 36. And behold, your relative in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God and Mary said behold I am the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her this is a really big part of the story too I don't know we don't know for sure if her fear is gone yet we do know that she's starting to surrender to the Lord's will. She's starting to believe the message of the angel. Let it, let it be to me the way you're saying it's going to happen. But what I thought it was interesting is that God told the angel, hey, don't forget to tell Mary about her sister. This isn't the only miracle happening right now. That I'm working not just big in her life, but I'm working also big in her sister's life, who was barren. Yeah, she's already pregnant. And, and, and the simple response was what? Nothing is impossible with God. But God, tell me how it's gonna work out. Okay, I'll tell you how it's gonna work out. Nothing is impossible for me. I know, but like, explain to me how this is gonna work because from my vantage point, like I see a train wreck coming and none of it makes sense. I know. So can you explain it to me? Yeah. Okay, nothing is impossible for me. 
right? We relate to that. Why? Because of the illusion of control. I need to understand it so I can be at peace. God's like, I'm sorry. I'm not going to play into your control issues. There's only one of the two of us that's in control, and it's not you. But I also hear God's kindness and patience in this as well. It's not getting frustrated at Mary for not just going, oh, okay, that's right, quickly believing. God's going to get me pregnant. It's going to be awesome. No, he's like being patient with her. He sent the angel with a dialogue ready to happen, a kindness towards Mary, understanding she's going to be scared, Gabriel. We're dealing with a really fragile soul here. Be prepared. She's going to ask some hard questions. But when she asks, here's what you say. Nothing is impossible for God. And that is the angel's response, and then the angel departs from her. But he also does something else. He puts her sister on her mind. Man, you see the goodness of God in that? Maybe the men in the room don't fully understand that, but the ladies who've been pregnant before are like, yes. (laughs) Right? A fellow traveler into this unknown scariness that I'm about to go through. I know Elizabeth. I trust Elizabeth. Right? Like, okay. That doesn't, doesn't take away my fear, but I'm going to walk through this with my sister. And we begin to see this kind of reflection of the idea of like biblical community, walking through hard stuff together. Elizabeth isn't the one who's going to have the answers. As a matter of fact, we're going to see in a minute, Elizabeth's just going to become the mouthpiece of God. So God's still the one who's soothing Mary's fears and calming her, her, her soul. It's not Elizabeth. But there's something about walking through hard stuff with someone that you know and trust and love. All right, so let's pick that up in verse 39. So in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. I think it's important detail. She didn't just get around to it. She's like, no, I'm out. What? Elizabeth's going through something like this? I'm out. I'm going. So with haste, she takes off. Verse 40 says, and she entered the house of of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth that's her sister and her brother-in-law and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary heard Mary's voice the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit so already the baby in Elizabeth's womb is experiencing some joy here the baby's leaping with joy and Elizabeth now is going to become the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit look Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit And she exclaimed with a loud cry. I don't think I could pull this one off. I don't have the voice for it. But whatever that means, one sister speaking to another sister, both are in the middle of this this incredible, miraculous event in both of their lives. Whatever it means to be exclaiming with a loud voice, that's what she does. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Hmm. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Man, what a precious moment here. Um, We have a... a word for to describe what just happened and we call it the trialogue so you know what a dialogue is right two people talking what i'm doing right now is a monologue for the most part unless i hear an amen which you can do if you want to 
these laughs. It's almost a dialogue, but, but a trialogue means that three, three people are talking, and we use this word here at Solid Rock to describe the Holy Spirit working to orchestrate conversations between two people. So you and I meet, and we're, we're talking about deep things going on, and as, as I'm listening to you, I'm also listening for the Holy Spirit, and maybe he puts a, a word on my heart for you, and I said, well, can I just share something with you? And you're like, yeah, 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 and I share something with you, and you're like, oh, thank you for saying that. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm pretty wise. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through me to you and, and through you to me. You, I hope you've experienced this. If you are in Christ, I hope you have experienced this. It's like, wow, and you get up from that, and you're like, I just feel like whatever we just experienced was bigger than just drinking coffee, like something sacred or miraculous just took place. It's the trialogue, and that's what's happening here for Mary and for Elizabeth. Yes, there is some comfort in saying we're gonna lock arms and go through this together, but if all Mary has is Elizabeth, she's still going to be scared. Elizabeth is not bigger than the thing that Mary is scared of, right? But Elizabeth is hearing from the Holy Spirit, the one who's going to overshadow Mary. And she speaks the words of God to her sister. I love this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 describes how this is supposed to work for you and I. Here's what verse 26 says. If one member suffers, all suffer together. That's where we lock arms in suffering. And my suffering becomes your suffering, your suffering becomes my suffering. Now, I'm not gonna be your ultimate source of comfort, nor you, me, but we're gonna, we're gonna lock arms together and something happens when we lock arms together. Listen, we are more in tune oftentimes with the Holy Spirit together than we are separate. Because when I'm by myself, I got all the lies in my head speaking and I have a hard time discerning, which one's God, what's God saying? You know what I'm talking about? I know the Holy Spirit's speaking, but I don't know which one's the voice of the Holy Spirit. Then we lock arms, even in our suffering, we can help one another. The way that Mary and Elizabeth are helping one another, listen to the Holy Spirit. But the verse says this together, if one member is honored, we all what? Rejoice together. So the rejoicing of Elizabeth, we're gonna see, is actually gonna become the rejoicing of Mary here as the Holy Spirit orchestrates this conversation between the two of them. And this is where we're gonna land today uh, in Luke 1, verse 46. And this is just the beginning. So what's gonna happen now is Mary's heart overwhelms with joy and she starts singing a song. Um, I'm assuming she probably wrote it, wrote it down or memorized it, but this is the song that came out of her heart. Once she got to the place of, okay, I'm surrendering to God's will, then after hearing the same message from her sister, she goes, okay, now I believe it, right? I believe it. And now look at what happens. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Look at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him. You see that? Not those who fear, those who fear him. From generation to generation. It's a strange thing to think about fearing the Lord. One of the best illustrations of this is the, is the Chronicles of Narnia conversation between Susan and the beaver. For any Chronicles geeks out there, you know what I'm talking about. 
And she's asking about Aslan. She's like, what, he's a lion? And the beaver's like, yeah, he's a lion. I should be scared. And well, tell me, is he safe? And the beaver's response to Susan is like, no, he's a lion. Lions aren't safe. He's not safe. No, but he's what? But he's good. Like that's a description of God. God is represented by Aslan the lion. Is, the, is God safe? No, but here's the good, but he's good. You need someone bigger than your thing you're scared of. And God shows up and says, that's me. I'm the lion of Judah. That's me. I'm the only one who can overshadow you in such a way, right, that your fear begins to subside and dissolve. Now, here we're told that in her song that the mercy, God's mercy is for those who fear him. Like, this is not the only place in the Bible that talks about fear in a positive way. I'm just going to run through a few verses that talk about fear. I want you to listen for uh, the connection here. Job 28, 28. Remember Job? And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. So there's a connection here between wisdom and fear of the Lord. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There it is again. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures first. Now we're called to practice fear of the Lord. Why? Because it leads to knowledge or understanding. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom, wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. You, you hear that connection? It's interesting because in our fear, we want the understanding to deal with our fear. God's like, that's not how it works. I want you to bring your fear to me and then I'll give you the understanding you need. See how that's different? In one, I'm in control. Give me the information so I can figure out how to navigate this situation. Roll out the map, roll out the instructions. I need all this knowledge so I can control the situation that I'm scared of. God's like, that's not how it works. How's it work then? Romans 8, verse 14 and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I want you to, I want you to as I read verse 15, I want you to have in mind the four-year-old who just woke up in the middle of the night out of a horrific nightmare, and it's dark, and they are scared. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Okay, then what am I gonna do with my fear? But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Fear of the Lord leads us to run to God and cry out, Abba, Father. You see how that works? We run to God because he's bigger. We run to God because he's more powerful. And we run to God and we cry, Abba, Father. It keeps us from becoming slaves to fear again. We all know what that is, right? To be a slave to fear. Trying to suppress your own anxiety and to white knuckle your way through life from fearful moment to fearful moment to fearful moment. And God's like, hey, here's what you do with your fear. Run to me. Let me overshadow you with my power. Let me be Aslan the lion to you. Fear of the Lord leads us to run to God and to cry out. 
Abba, Father, Daddy. Because we trust him as a good father who has good intentions for our lives. And in his arms, we surrender our attempt to control. We surrender our anxiety and our rage as what? Inadequate responses to fear. And like a good dad, God helps us see what is true and he helps us see what is a lie and he helps us sort it all out. And that's where our wisdom comes from. But listen, you're not gonna get that until you run to him. When your child wakes up in the night and runs to you, mom or dad, in fear and just like needs you, that's a reflection of God. You're an image bearer. On a much grander scheme now, adults in the room, what God is saying is quit trying to white knuckle your way through your fear. Run to me like a little child and call me dad. Bring that to me and let me overshadow you with my bigness. So I wanna end with just some questions for us to think about. And when you think about your life, okay, I know that we all experience fear at different levels and different ways, and maybe you're here today and you're like, I can't think of anything I'm afraid of right now. That's fantastic. I hope you're listening, though, and writing down notes. I'm telling you, there's a day coming you're going to be scared of something. Where in your life right now do you see evidence of fear in the form of, like, anxiety or rage or the very subtle one, control? Any control freaks in the room? Don't raise your hand. Uh, you want to raise your hand because you want to control the situation. Don't do it. I know you're out there, and I know you need me to know you're out there. I don't want to know where you are. It's like, yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm a recovering control freak, and I can't be around you, so don't tell me who you are. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so that's what we're talking about. Where do you see the evidence of fear in your life? Control, anxiety, maybe even rage. You can't control it, so then you're like, well, anything else, I'm just going to blow the whole thing up. Burn the whole thing down. I'll punch a hole in this or throw this or whatever. That's, that's an attempt to control a room. That's what that is. So where do you see evidence of that in your life? Any idea what the source of fear is? What are you scared of? What are you afraid is going to happen if you don't control the situation? And then the last thing, and really this is for all of us, what's keeping you from running to God today? He's here with open arms saying, run to me. Run to me. Don't just wait till you wake up in the middle of the night scared. Run to me. Let me overshadow you, not just with my power, but with my goodness, my love, my mercy. Let me show myself to you. Run to me and call me daddy. I don't know where that lands on you today, but I'm gonna pray that you would do that. You would run to God. Last thing I would say before we pray is if you're here today and you've never run to God, you've never come to God in any form, fashion, never prayed, never said, Jesus, like I believe in what you've done for me. I trust in you. I want this, this whole abundant life thing that you're talking about. I want that. I'm gonna pray for you as well. And my hope for you though is that you talk to somebody before you leave here today about becoming a Christian. We, um, after I pray, our prayer partners will be down here at the front, kind of in the corners. That's what they're here for, to pray for you, pray with you, talk with you, but also answer any questions you might have about becoming a Christian. And so I'm gonna pray for you as well. And then our worship team's gonna come back out and they're gonna lead us in singing together. And we're gonna be intentional with this sacred time together. We're gonna worship together as the saints. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these real examples from the nativity of real human beings um, 
God, experiencing really extreme emotional situations. And God, it's so beautiful to see how you meet each of them in their situation, how you incarnate into Elizabeth's sadness, how you incarnate into Mary's fear. And God, the the truth be told, we need you to do that in our hearts as well today. Father, I'm just praying for anybody here who's carrying any kind of burden or extreme emotion or just questions or doubts that the, the solution of trying to figure it out would, um, God, it would become not enough <laughs> to say it. It's just not enough. And then, Father, we would drop our illusions of control today just like a little kid, just recklessly abandoning the situation and running to you. God, I pray especially for any person here who doesn't even know who you are, who's never come to you and experienced your goodness, that today would be that day of salvation, God, that you would call that, like right now while I'm praying, even just your spirit would call that person to yourself, God. We're about to stand and sing, God. I pray you'd be honored in our worship. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.